It's NPR's Book of the Day podcast. Journalist Don Turner spent years as a columnist at the Chicago Tribune, digging into local issues. Real nitty-gritty stuff, everything from gun violence to traffic light cameras to, you know, of course, the Cubs. And a lot of that coverage looked at inequality in different ways. How and why do some people make it, and what's stopping others? Her latest book, The Three Girls from Bronzeville, gets personal. In a bit, we'll hear Turner discuss that with host Michelle Martin. And then Michelle's going to talk with novelist Walter Mosley about his book, Down the River Unto the Sea, a pulpy crime story about a suspected cop killer whose case, obviously, isn't as clear-cut as it seems. But first, here's Turner. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Why do some people make it and others don't? Or rather, they struggle in ways that mystify even the people closest to them. That's the question at the heart of Don Turner's new book, Three Girls from Bronzeville. Turner is an award-winning journalist, a former reporter and columnist for the Chicago Tribune. For years, she wrote about other people's lives in her hometown. But for her new book, she turns her reporter's eye on herself, her best friend Deborah Trice and her younger sister Kim, as they grow up in the Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago. But all too soon, their lives start to take very different paths, and Turner set out to try to find out why. And Dawn Turner is with us now to tell us more. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. A lot of reviewers have already pointed to sort of the joy in your writing and how you describe the beauty of the place that you grew up in a way that perhaps other people didn't see. But, you know, without giving too much away, you write about how some things went very wrong for your younger sister and your best friend, even as you were able to accomplish so many of the things that you set out to do. And I'm just wondering how you experienced this book. Do you experience it primarily as as joyous or as painful? Hmm, that's a great question, because I think it's so much um, a combination of those feelings and so much more. It is a celebration of friendship and sisterhood and how the people we love are with us forever, no matter how they leave us. And so one of the reasons why I can look at this story and say, there but for the grace of God go I, is that I have so much of myself and I see so much of myself in my sister and so much of her in me and the same thing with Deborah. And so where they ended up, yes, it was very shocking to all of us, but you don't know somebody's journey. And so when you get them in the the middle of their story, you have to go back and understand the beginning. You grew up in an apartment complex that was across the street from public housing. Throughout the book, you write about how conditions in the public housing development got worse and worse as time went on and how it's not like people didn't notice, but almost like they felt like powerless to do anything about it. Um, What impact do you think that had on you and the people around you? Right. And we grew up in, I think in the parlance of today, it would be called affordable housing. It was very much considered a place for working class people for with middle class um, ideals or dreams. And, and so everything was pristine. It was all the janitors chased down wayward pieces of paper with like a religious fervor. 
But across the street, and we had a bird's eye view of the abandonment and how the Chicago Housing Authority was the landlord of the Ida B. Wells homes. And this was a place that, that was a place of utter despair. And so we watched how the systems that may have worked on our side of the street completely did not work. Um, the garbage pickup lagged. Whenever there was a, a streetlight that had blown out, it was not replaced uh, immediately. The uh, housing project was either under-policed or over-policed. And so we, we saw that. And the, the people on both sides of the street were the same people. And so what was the difference? The difference was the conditions. Um, if you live in squalor and you're told constantly that you don't matter, it becomes so hard. It's such an extra burden on you to even try to succeed. There are also choices being made yes. all along the way, big choices and frankly, a lot of little choices. Yes. And, you know, one of the point, pain points is that your sister and your friend starting in adolescence, started going wild. Yes. I mean, you know, cutting school, you know what right. I mean? And yes, they come across as, you know, picaresque in a way. This is frankly one of these issues that repeatedly comes up in policy debates where people say, oh, you know what, it's the circumstances. On the other mm-hmm. hand, people say, no, it's personal responsibility and people need to take responsibility for themselves. So I have to ask, like, why did... Mm-hmm. Why did you go one way and the, the girls another? I mean, was it as simple as personality that you liked school and you, it was a good place for you and it wasn't for them? Or right. what do you think? Well, I mean, I uh, first of all, I, I'm so glad you picked up on Deborah and Kim were incredibly bright. And I, I think that the difference, uh, at least one of the differences, I was told very early on that I was smart. For me, rules was scaffolding. But for them, they were something that, that you just kind of push against. But um, in terms of why they went one way, um, I, I, I don't know that I can really um, give a reason for that. Other than to say that I do think that we have to, um, as a society, do a better job trying to, to help uh, kids um, or adolescents who, who are outliers, who don't fall into that, that category of, you know, the kid who is going to follow the rules. The kid who is not perfect, by the way. I was never perfect. I wonder if in part what is so disturbing is the ratio. Like, that. why would it be of the three of you, only one of you survived in a way? Right. I wonder, is, it, is part of your sort of operating theory here that if the society cared more about people like you and your sisters and your friend, that the ratio would be better. Yeah, I am hoping that we can boost the number of kids who make it and however you define make it. I mean, that's completely personal. And without giving a whole lot of way, there is a redemption story in Deborah's story. And so some of this is how can we protect these kids or offer a bridge to them before the clock runs out. And sometimes you do have to hit a wall, but it does not have to mean that that is that that you're irredeemable and that you can't um, have a second chance. Too often, there are so many people who are denied that second chance. And part of what what I'm saying also is that you can make a huge mistake, a, a really bad mistake. And, and there should be an avenue, not to, to just be warehoused, but to be um, forgiven and given a second chance if both are earned. That was Dawn Turner. Her new book is called Three Girls from Bronzeville, a uniquely American memoir of race, fate, and sisterhood. Dawn Turner, thank you so much for talking with us. My sincere pleasure. Thank you.
This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox. Discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Speaking of redemption stories and second chances, Joe King Oliver is just getting his life back together. A former police officer himself, he was beaten up and sent to prison, all as part of a setup. But now he's out and making it work as a private eye when he gets a tip that the same cops who set him up might be setting up someone else, an activist accused of being a cop killer. That's the premise of Down the River Unto the Sea by Walter Mosley, whose detective novels were an inspiration to Colson Whitehead. Here's NPR's Michelle Martin speaking with the longtime crime writer. He was wrongfully accused, set up actually, beaten within an inch of his life, confined to solitary in New York's notorious Rikers Island. And even now, a decade later, former police officer Joe King Oliver is still trying to get his life back on track. Sure, he's making ends meet with his private eye service. He's repaired his relationship with his teenage daughter and is cordial with his ex-wife. And he gets to listen to some felonious monk now and then. Does he really need to take on the complicated case of the activist journalist accused of being a cop killer? Sure he does, especially when a mysterious letter on pink stationery ties the activist's case to the same corrupt cops who framed Joe 10 years earlier. You following all that? That is the setup of Walter Mosley's juicy new detective novel, Down the River Unto the Sea. And Walter Mosley is with us now from NPR West in Culver City, California. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you for having me. So this is what, number 53, book number 53, 54? Something like that. It's one of those two numbers. You know, it's hard to tell because, you know, some of the books are, you know, uh, I've published like maybe three or four books electronically. And it depends on what you count and what you don't count among those books to that would make the difference. Okay, well, so we're up there. So yeah. um, how did how did this one start? What was the, the nugget that got you started on this one? Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it was very clear to me. The first thing I thought of is all the uh, black uh, activists and intellectuals and, 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 you know, and political, you know, kind of in quotes, revolutionaries from, you know, the, the 50s and 60s up until today who get, you know, blamed for crimes, you know, sent to prison. And, you know, a lot of times you say, well, they might be guilty, but then again, they might not be guilty, you know, and... How how was that case done? And I wanted a, a a person who I thought was not guilty, who who barely appears in the book. But he, I mean, he's guilty in as much as he he shot these these two policemen. But he's uh, innocent in as much as he was, you know, he was it was self defense. And so um, I wanted to I wanted to write a novel in which that happened mm. that that you have a car a a, a, a policeman. A black policeman, but still a policeman, who hates you know what this guy has done, but but then as he's paid to get deeper and deeper into it, he begins to understand that uh, everything is not what it seems. Hmm. Well, in fact, the book is dedicated to Malcolm, Medgar, and Martin. Yeah, which is interesting. Has this is this something that you've been carrying around for a while, or is this something that events kind I, of pushed you to? 
at least twenty years, I've been I've been thinking about um, you know you you think about people you know you have things like Mumia and, and Philadelphia. You just you just think about it and you say, I have feelings about this. I have I've, I have a way of thinking about this which doesn't seem to be in the mainstream at all. And I I want I want to be able to you know to to say that the way I'm looking at this world is not necessarily the way the mainstream is looking at this world. In the spirit of full disclosure, I come from a cop family, policing mm-hmm. family. I have five police officers in my family, all in New York. And it was interesting because you do have police officers in this book themselves who seem to feel those dualities. I mean, they seem to, they recognize that those dualities are there, that they are people among them who are not who they claim to be. Right, and that was a lot of fun because there are a lot of different cops in this in the book, and and you know a lot of the people that you like that you get along with that maybe you don't like for a minute, but then you realize well maybe you should like them. Yeah, I mean I'm not like trying to condemn the police force. What I'm I'm actually trying to do is say, here's a guy who took actions who's who's never going to get a fair shake, you know, because of the, the way the system is set up around him, and and then I have another guy who says. I need to do something about that. And that's that's what really like excites me. But there know? were also cops who weren't getting a fair shake. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah, one of no. the interesting yeah. things about yeah. it. Yeah. I wonder if it if it, if it kind of reminds me of there there are a couple of uh, rappers like Eminem and Joyner Lucas are playing with this idea of switching perspectives around mm-hmm. race. Well, you're a novelist. That's what you do. You know, you get into other people's heads. But I'm wondering if part of it is what people are enjoying is the idea of kind of getting into somebody's head for something that they keep hearing about on the news, right? And this, these are so many stories that just keep coming at us around these kinds of issues and police conduct and, you know, are the police the good guys? Are they the bad guys? I mean, just as we are talking today, just a couple of days ago, two Baltimore City police officers were convicted for um, shaking down drug dealers and brutalizing them. And, and I just wonder, is it the kind of thing that you are allowing people to kind of peer into somebody else's head in a way that they want to do but don't have any other way to do. I think that a lot of people understand. It said, like, you're with this group over here, you and these 20 people, and there's another group over there with their 20 people who you don't like with your group. But you also don't like people in your group. And there are people in your group who are doing things that that are not right. And there are people over there that you really respect, you know, because often you respect your enemies, right? But it's very hard to say those things because, you know, you have, there's a kind of militaristic separation between the two. And and uh, and so I think that that it's that when you start doing that with your work, what you do is you start opening up people to be able, you know, let them them breathe, let them actually experience how they're feeling, who they are, where they're going. That is New York Times bestselling author Walter Mosley. His latest novel, Down the River, Unto the Sea, comes out this week. He was kind of to talk to us from NPR West in Culver City, California. Walter Mosley, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for speaking with me. And thank you. That's it for this week. I'm Andrew Limbong. Thanks for listening. NPR's Book of the Day is produced by Megan Lim, edited by Petra Mayer, Megan Sullivan, and Taylor Burney. The show elements this week were produced and edited by Courtney Dorning, Kat Lonsdorf, Rena Advani, Lily Rose, Nell Clark, Eliza Dennis, Dustin DeSoto, and William Troop. Our managing editor is Beth Donovan. Thanks again. Happy reading.
This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. 